poor family dreams of finding one of five golden tickets which have been hidden inside chocolate bar wrappers. The tickets can get him access to the eccentric and reclusive Willy Wonka and his magical factory. One after another, tickets are discovered by ghastly, horrible children. But will Charlie Bucket find the last remaining ticket and have all his dreams come true? Ladies and gentlemen, the Let Christy Take It team presents Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look and you'll see into your imagination. When was the first time you seen Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? The first, I, I, first time I can read, I remember seeing it was in St. Peter the Apostles Hall when the school showed it. That's the first time. I, I might have seen yeah. it on the TV before, but that was definitely, that's definitely a standout memory for me, watching it. When was the first time you seen it? No, same. I, I'm going to say same. Yeah, we could have been yeah, in the same tier. One of my earliest memories of, of seeing it in the, in, the, in the school hall. Again, I, I'm sure I must have seen it you know, on the TV, but you know, I remember it being a big, uh, an event in the school hall, Mr. Brannock, Mr. Paul Brannock, the, the principal would have, uh, you know, always had films on. Yeah. Um, so it's a classic, it's 50 years old this year, Derek, 50 years old. Yeah. Based on a book, 1964, which was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory um, by Roald Dahl and Roald Dahl famously, we get into this, but he famously didn't like the movie. Well, he, he did talk to it towards the end of his life. Um, so he wasn't as bitter, but yeah, we'll get to that later on. So basically the movie was, it was based on the book loosely. And then, but what happened was the director, his daughter had read the book and she came to him and said, look, I want, you should make this movie. It's going to be, it'd be a great film. And he wasn't sure, sure. He wasn't too pushed on it. He said, you know, and she goes, no, go to uncle. Apparently his own, his brother, his brother was a big player in Hollywood and he, uh, he went to him and he got a bankroll. So, um, the, do you know where the money came from to make the movie? I do. Only through the research, actually. Um, Quaker Oats put up three million. The full, the full amount of the the budget was just three million. And they had a plan that they were gonna create this new chocolate bar, the Wonka Bar. And for whatever reason, um, the research and development team didn't do a good job because when they had the Wonka bars on the shelves, whatever the chemical makeup of the bar was, the bar just melted even sitting on a shelf and all of the bars had to be recalled. So yeah, so it wasn't a good tie-in at all. And, and even when the film came out, even though it's beloved now, it didn't make a lot of money. It only made four million off the three million budget. Like so. Yeah, it, well, it was become a cult classic, but it flopped upon release. But as you, you mentioned about the name, that's why they changed it from the book to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, because we wanted this to tie in with the chocolate. So people always wonder why it wasn't, it didn't stick so closely to the book. But uh, yeah, so that's why they changed the name. And it was going to be built around, like for 50 years ago, it was quite innovative in his idea of building a movie around a brand, which is which is commonplace now. Which is commonplace now, yeah. So it was released in 71. And as you said, it was directed by Mel Stewart and starring the legendary, brilliant Gene Wilder. Do you know who was also considered for the role? I do not. So, well, we, we, we know from uh, somebody else he spoke to, which is coming soon, you know, saying Spike Milligan was considered for the role. Yeah. Also, Fred Astaire, no way, right now. No. Uh, Ron, Ron Moody from Oliver, 
and Flight of the Air, Flight of the Doves that were cast. Those, those, oh, it's a, it's a scary film that even yeah, now. Yeah. So him, he was cast, and also uh, Wurzel, John Petrie. So Wurzel Gummidge Club, but there is nobody Peter Sellers as well. So, but there's nobody who could have played it like Jim Wilder. Apparently, when when he was auditioned for the part, he just walked in, looked at Stuart, and she was had the part. Didn't have to open his mouth. Said didn't have to open, didn't have to audition. And Stuart just looked at him and said. He had he had um, he'd strong feelings towards the role. A, a lot of his ideas um, were implemented. So the first time that we you know we see Willy Wonka like that, you know I, I don't want to get too early into it. We we start talking about the beginning of the film, but a lot of his ideas were implemented. But we have to mention uh, the actor that played Charlie uh, Peter Ostrom never acted again. Never just you know that was it. It was a one off, and. I, for 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 a guy to make one film, his performance, the innocence of him, and it it was just brilliant. I can't. He, he said he was just playing himself, Derek. He said he, it was just him being him. Like he was, he was, he was kind of picked up in a small production, spotted, and he went for cast, and then he got it. But he said he was just acting as himself and portraying himself. We talk about the Gene Wilder bit. We know we're going to get to it when he does the, the, the. But the main reason he took the film was because. He said, I'll do the movie, but only if I can do the scene with the cane. The cane. So, yeah, so the, the, the film um, opens up with children running out of school and running to the local sweet shop. And, you know, like, like all kids, I suppose, you know, you leave school, you know, you run out of school, you've got a couple of quid in your pocket or, you know, a couple of pence in by your tempany bag. And the, the sweet shop man, you know, he's talking about Willy Wonka and he's got this scrum diddly bar or whatever you want to call it. That's the name, isn't it? scrum diddly But that's the first song. The fourth song we hear is the, is the Sweet Shop Man singing The Candyman. Yeah, Candyman. And it's a brilliant song. Absolutely brilliant. Which went on to be... Yeah, the biggest hit in of all the songs in it. That was a big chart hit of all the songs. Yeah, well, but, Sammy Davis Jr. became Sammy Davis Jr. Um, standard for years yeah. afterwards. Sammy Davis Jr. wanted to play that role as the Sweet Shop Man. And yeah. Mel Stewart said, no way, I'm keeping it. I want to keep the fairy tale aspect. Who can take a sunrise, sprinkle it with dew, cover it in chocolate and a miracle or two? The Candyman, the Candyman can. The Candyman can, because he mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. Who can take a rainbow, wrap it in a song? Look at the movie, it's kind of set in a Never Neverland. You don't know where it is, but I knew when I was growing up watching that was somewhere in Europe. But I think the American audience would have probably thought, this, where the hell is this place? But he wanted a kind of a magical kingdom where it could be anywhere. So yeah, it was, it was filmed in Germany. Yeah. And it's, you know, if you've ever been to Germany or spent any time in Germany, it was really really obvious where it was filmed yeah and um, but uh, we say you see the kids and the kids are all buying chocolate they're all scoffing chocolate and the camera just pans around and we see a really really sad looking charlie bucket just looking in the in the window he obviously hasn't got any money to, to, to win and buy um chocolate you know he goes off and he gets his papers he does his paper round you know and that's the funny bit like you talk about going off the other papers and he's seeing kind of just sits at me and watching if I had research for this again he's running around with a smile on his face throwing his newspapers around and throwing them in and catching grannies into that basket and then he stops at the Wonka gates 
and he's looking at the and, and the music, the kind of scary music. You well, know, here, lads, this this guy comes in, he's pushing a trolley with hatchets, machetes. What something looks like an IV drip. Nobody goes in. Nobody comes out. Comes out. And he walks off. I said, Jesus Christ. <laughs> but that kind well, of with the whole dark thing of Roald Dahl, because he wanted the character of uh, Willy Wonka to be a nasty, nasty piece of work. They did, didn't want him lovable at all. Yeah, but when I totally agree. And, and that is that, I mean, for me, I remember being thinking that the film was scary as a kid. Not horror scary, but like maybe disturbing for it. Is that Mumpa Lumpus to give you the Willy's Ari? Yeah, so Charlie runs home anyway, and this is kind of where we get to meet his mother and his parents, grandparents, sorry. And his grandparents, four of them are all bedridden in the one bed, and the house is in disarray. They haven't got that much money. And at night, you know, Grandpa Joe is his, his favorite, and he's telling them all about Willy Wonka. And, you know, they're building up this myth, this legend of this, you know, no one has ever seen Willy Wonka, but I haven't seen him for years. But there's another sweet shop guy called Slugwort, who's Willy Wonka's arch enemy, and, you know, Slugwort this and Slugwort that. And Slugwort has spoils that he was sending in to get all of Wonka's secrets, and that's why Willy Wonka closed the gates and never opened them again. Yeah, and Slugwort, he, he, he's like something you'd see in Indiana Jones. He has that kind of look, played by a German actor. I've never seen him in anything since. Yeah, big scar across his face. Yeah, here. just running whispering to kids' ears, you know. Yeah, that's so, it's announced that Willy Wonka is going to open his factory. And how he's going to do it is he's going to open it to five lucky people who can win the golden ticket. The, the film has this little small montage where we see um, boxes of Willy Wonka bars being sold all over the world, including the White House. Oh. Actually, well, you know, the, the, the bars are being sold. The, the whole world goes crazy because everyone wants the opportunity to get into Willy Wonka's factory. And as you mentioned, the first winner was a German kid called Augustus Galoop. And as he's getting interviewed, the whole world's press are interviewing him. How does this make you feel, Augustus? Hungry. Um, you see a, a kind of a sneaky man sneaking into his ear with a big scar down his face. Uh, so as uh, the, the tickets then are, are, are kind of being discovered one by one, next we see uh, Veruca Salt, played by the brilliant Julie Don Cole, our father by the legendary, and we just mentioned Roy Kinnear, unfortunately, um, no longer with us. He died making the return of the Musketeers. Yeah, fell off his horse. Near, so I had fell off his horse. And you know, they showed that on TV. They showed it on TV AM. Yeah. That clip of him coming through the gate, falling off his horse, and he died, yeah. Let's keep the mood uh, happy for A-Star as well, come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so soon all the tickets are, are found, um, bar one, and um, Mike TV, Violet Beauregard joined the ticket winners, only one left, um, which is found in Paraguay, believe it or not, Paraguay. And we, we see, you know, Charlie going to visit his mom at work. She walks in like a long dress, you know, and he's saying, look, it doesn't matter. I'm never going to win, you know, I'll never win the ticket. They're all gone. Um, that night, his, 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 uh, his grandpa, you know, I think the night before, his grandpa had given him a a chocolate but Charlie had given him his last 50 pence from his wages to buy some tobacco and the granddad now how he ever got out of the bed to buy it I don't know he must have got the money to buy it um, Jack Albertson played the grandfather um, he he bought him a Wonka bar and the two of them opened it together they didn't win 
Everybody expected him to. You know, when he's doing it slowly and you're expecting that. Uh, and then it rips open and there's no one companion. Jesus, he's never going to get there. We were saying about the... Um, the name kind of gives it. You know. The montage. Like, you see... Uh, Sotheby's doing an auction of a box of Wonka bars that's gone for a couple of grand. You see the FBI talking to a, a lady whose husband had just been um, kidnapped. How much do they want? They want your box of Wonka bars. Um, do I have time to think about this? He looks down like, um, like a great or shore and he sees 50 pence and he goes into, this, into the shop. He's not even thinking about the bars anymore. You're very selfish though. You could have bought your granddad more tobacco. Well, you, you know what, you're right, he, he is feeling selfish and he buys a, a, a bar and he starts scoffing and, and the candy man is saying, you know, relax there, kid, you know, you know, take your time. And as he's walking out, he stops and he goes back and he's got the last of his, of his money and he goes, I want to buy one for me, granddad. That's when you walk out and they see that the, the fifth and final ticket had been a fake. And so Charlie, rather than just opening the bar, he goes into a corner, you know, so he's waiting for his grandfather and he opens it up. And lo and behold, he has the final ticket. Um, the, the, the crowd jump around. He's got to, he, obviously someone's afraid he's going to get it. He said, Charlie, run home. He's offered a few bob, isn't he, on the way, keep it off for money and he's just keeps going. <laughs> yeah. So he, he, he's on the way home and, and Slugworth jumps out in front of him, offers him, I think, 10 grand. No, it's obvious then Slugworth knew where the, bar, where the golden tickets were, right? And if he's that clever to know where the golden tickets are, don't be right? If he's that clever to know where the golden tickets are, why can't he get his hands on an everlasting gobstopper? Um, I don't know. Would you really want an everlasting gobstopper? But you know, um, Slugwort wasn't even in the book. They needed an evil character, so they, they, they created Slugwort for the movie. But he's a great mm-hmm. villain, and which look not looks fifty years old. He's actually not a villain in the end, but. No. Uh, oh, you're giving away the end already. Yeah. Um, so he gets, he, you know, he gets home anyway, and he tells his grandparents, "I'm after winning, I'm after winning," and they don't believe him because they they still think that the fifth ticket has been won. And he goes, "No, look!" And he goes, "Oh, this is amazing." And he says, "I want to bring you, Grand Grandpa Joe." And Grandpa Joe has been in bed for twenty years, yeah. one whiff of a bit of chocolate, and he's up. And he's not only does he get up. Because he starts singing, you know, we've got a golden ticket. He starts dancing around and, and like, um, like a vaudeville. I dreamed that I would climb over the moon in ecstasy, but nevertheless it's there that I'm shortly about to be. Because I've, I've got, got a golden, golden ticket. I've got a golden chance to make my way. And with a golden ticket, it's a golden day. And um, you know the, the press, the world's press are gathered outside of the Wonka factory, and we've got the kids there, and you've got Faruka Salt. Oh, I want to be first, Daddy. Make sure I'm first, and you know, and the door opens, and it's the four, they were 44 or 45 minutes into the movie at this stage. This isn't like the first 10 or 15 minutes. It's almost an hour in, three quarters of an hour. No, it's good foreshadowing of the kind of tone of the characters. Like she's going to be the demanding one. Charlie's sitting there. You can see. Violet chewing her gum, and yeah. she actually got loads of cavities in her teeth from chewing all that gum in the movie. So she had to stop chewing gum. But setting the scene of what these kids are going to be like. So those kids, when that door opened and Gene Wilder came out that door, and he comes out with a limp, and he's limping slowly. That was their first intro. They met Gene Wilder, but the first introduction 
to the character of Willy Wonka. See the clothes, see the suit, yeah. Yeah, so when, when they seen him limping, they, they didn't know what was going on. So if you look closely at them kids, and this happens a couple of times in during the course of the making of the movie. Um, that, that was, we kind of touched upon it. That was one of Gene Wilder's um, few um, cruxes for wanting to take the part. I want to do this. And he limps halfway down and, you know, the, the stick gets, or his walking stick gets stuck in the concrete. And he, he kind of falls and does a big somersault and goes up, hey, welcome everybody. And So he said that doing, by doing that scene, it was shown that he could be a lawyer and he could be nice. And it, it's shown which side, there's two sides of Wonka. And it's kind of foreshadowing again that he's playing this game with the kids to find a nice group, one in the group. Very good. So anyway, they, go, they all go into the factory and he makes them each sign a contract and there's a bit of hula about who's going to sign the contract. And eventually through one thing or another, they open the door into the chocolate room with the chocolate river. And again, another scene that if you look at the kids' faces as they walk into that door, into that room, the, the look of wonder and the look of awe because they hadn't seen any of that before. It's kind of like the Goonies. Every, the Goonies say that when they, when they see the ship for the first time, yeah. that look on their faces because they never laid eyes on the ship. Well, I think credit has to go there to, to, to Harper Goff, who, who created the set, because he done wonders with the money that he had. And he said that it was like a, nearly like an amateur production. The budget was very small for, for the movie. And like for him to get an actual waterfall in, and like a lot, of the, a lot of the stuff there was artificial. Some of the props were real in the actual factory. But for him to design it like that, they said like he deserves big credit. Because he said they were running by the seat of their pants, like basically very amateur in thinking and like literally sellotape and cardboard kind of effort. But we pulled her off like um, you see the kids all eating jellies and you see Veruca salt cracking open like a big kind of watermelon and if you look really closely you can see that there's blood on the knee of one of her tights because it was a real rock that she was hitting it off and she actually cut her leg if you look really closely yeah and also so we get to the scene and as Jim was singing the song and he has a little cup of uh, he's drinking from like a flower yeah the yellow cup yeah, plus, and he takes a bite. It was actually made out of wax. Yeah, he had to bite it, spit it, and then do it again for the next scene. So he'd be chewing it and chewing her up till he said cut, and he said Stuart would keep the scene going, and he'd be having a mouthful of wax. He's going... And he's actually, cut. this is also the first time that we see the Oompa Loompas for the first time. Yeah. And um, the problem with the Oompa Loompas, he couldn't get English-speaking... Uh, vertically challenged actors. Um, so they, 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 you know, they couldn't find, and so they had to get them from all over Europe. So it created a bit of havoc on the set. They'd be, you know, not following instructions. And Mel Stewart was, it was a hard taskmaster. He ran a tight ship and he wasn't impressed. So he'd be really, really tough on them, but just someone couldn't speak English. Some of them are really older men. And some of the takes, it took a long time for them. You know, doing the cartwheels, 60, 70 takes just to get it right. So where Mike TV, Mike TV, that scene with Mike TV when Mike TV gets taken, gets shrunk down, that that um that scene took seventy six takes to do, yeah, because of the cartwheels. Yeah, quite scary when you're seeing them as a kid, like you know. Mention about the Chocolate River is as beautiful as it looks. Seemingly, it stank to high heaven. It and was ice cold. Huge. Ice cold. It's what? Ice cold as well, freezing. Yeah, but putrid. It was um, I think chocolate cream and some sort of you know chemical and the um, cream started to go off so the yeah, started to and spoil and, and poor Augustus Gloop the actor he had to um had to jump in get out jump in get out 
jump in, get out. And he said it was frozen. He was frozen. Uh, and he did, it wasn't these days where he could just uh, get away with it, you know. He, yeah, so he, uh, poor Augustus was gone fairly easy, fairly quickly. He, um, he, uh, he started drinking the river and Willy Wonka started going mental. You know, you can never touch the chocolate. He falls in, but he's so calm. Yes, he's gone. He gets sucked up into the tube. Yeah, yeah that's well. justifying. They're just the kids. Bad things are happening, and you just things are happening to the bad kids, right? But there's kids getting harmed and endangered, and it's kind of like, ah, oh, sure, they're not nice kids, you know. So that's showing there is a nasty side to to Wonka that he's not too. Well, they're not nice kids. Let them go off. And that's where we hear the first um, the first song from the Open Opus. The whistle. What do you get when you guzzle down sweets? Eating as much as an elephant eats. What are you at getting terribly fat? What do you think will come of that? I don't like the look of it. Oompa, loompa, doompa-dee-da. If you're not greedy, you will go far. You will live in happiness too. Like the oompa, loompa, So they go into the tunnel in the riverboat and it gets kind of quite scary. Actually, a lot of the images on the walls that were shown up of there was men's faces with like worms. And I actually couldn't look at that. But quite scary. And the reaction of Gene Wilder, his, his, um, his, his uh, script that he does, if you look at the kids again, that's another example. The kids weren't expecting the stuff to come out of his mouth. And it, that wasn't even the worst, you know, there was, there was um, cuts or takes that they, did, they didn't use that almost had the kids in tears. Yeah. You know, they weren't, because he never seen this side of Jim Wilder before. He was really nice to them on set, very approachable to them. And he'd just go off on, on the boat. Quite it's it's, it's, it seems out of place in the movie, that scene, doesn't it? It seems odd. It seems, it's, it's, it's disturbing. And to be honest with you, even doing the research for this and, you know, I just like turned away, turned away. I couldn't look at it, didn't, didn't like it at all. So the boat stops and they, go in, they eventually go into the inventing room where they see the machine that makes the everlasting gobstopper. And you can see them all, you know, Slugworth has offered them all 10 grand. There's yeah, a little slow looks between the parents and the kids, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, actually I was in research for this event. I don't know if you ever watched that um, thing in Vegas, what's it called, Pawn Stars, is it? The guys, the pawn shops. He yeah. went in. And he bought an everlasting gobstopper and a Wonka bar. So the Wonka bars were made of wood. Wood. Wooden Wonka bar. And he bought an everlasting gobstopper. And he said, Do you know who it belonged to? Uh, Veronica, Julie, uh, Don Cole. They were horse and she sold them at auction. So he's buying them off the guy who bought them at auction for the everlasting gobstopper and the Willy Wonka wooden sign. He paid $105,000. Wow. Piece of plastic. Yeah. So that's that's what he's saying. The reason why he paid, it's such an iconic moment from movie history, and he's and his justification was he can have that in a shop and he'll get people coming to his shop just to see that, just to see it. Yeah, yeah. which you would. So uh, this is the point where he shows them his new gum, which is a three-course meal chewing gum, and Boyle uh, Beauregard pulls it out of his hand, throws it into the, and again. He goes, "No, don't do that." Real calmly, no, please. Please don't do it. Please, no. She's chewing away. I can taste the roast beef. I can taste the mashed potatoes. Now it's dessert, and you know, oh, this is where it happens. And she, she, you know, blows up almost like a big blueberry. And her father's losing his head, and they just roll her out. That's it. Another kid gone. And, and you know, when you, were, when you were doing that scene, um, 
the guys couldn't push her, so they kept bumping her head off the big metal doors. And the actress was saying that she would do, she would actually, she had a bit of concussion, she was just do a roll on her and banging her head off it. So the, the blue makeup that she had when the actress left then the next day, and oh, the makeup was gone, you know, completely clear. And the following week she was in school and it was a hot summer. And she started sweating, but she started sweating blue makeup out of her purse. Well, maybe the chewing gum was real. What? Maybe the chewing gum was real. <laughs> so they, they go down the, the, the corridor and he introduced them to the lickable wallpaper. So the raspberries taste like raspberries. The snozberries taste like snozberries. Snozberry. No one's ever heard of a snozberry. Must show you this. Lickable wallpaper for nursery walls. Lick an orange, it tastes like an orange. Lick a pineapple, it tastes like a pineapple. Go ahead, try it. Mmm, oh. I got a plum. Grandpa, this banana's fantastic. It tastes so real. Try some more. The strawberries taste like strawberries. The snozberries taste like snozberries. Snozberries? Who ever heard of a snozberry? We are the music makers. And we are the dreamers. So they go into the uh, fizzy lifting drinks room. And when everyone walks around, Charlie and his grandpa decide that they're going to have a little taste of this fizzy lifting drink. And they start to rise. And they're brilliant. It's, you know, they're, they're floating and they're doing somersaults and it's brilliant. And just a little hark to a, to a, like a, a very famous superhero movie. Charlie goes, hey, grandpa, I'm a bird. I'm a plane. I'm... And he looks up and doesn't, he doesn't finish the sentence. There's a fan above him. They're getting close to the fan and it's getting dangerous. And they've no way of getting down. And the only way of getting down is? Burping. Belching. Burping. Grandfather, I tell you, for a man who couldn't walk three days before this and he's flying, <laughs> I didn't know he was drinking. But they join up with the rest of the group and they're finishing off the tour. And they end up in the room with the geese that lay the golden eggs. This is where it all kicks off. Veruca Salt. I want one now, Daddy. You know, she wants, but that's my favorite scene of the whole film. It's horror. Um, horror song. She's, you know, but that, that, that took 36 takes because of all of the, you know, kicking the, you know, kicking the, the boxes and jumping from one thing to another. But again, if you, if you, if you read into the, um, the imagery, you know, when the golden egg hits the weighing scales, the scale either says this is a good egg or a bad egg. And when she lands on the scales, she's a bad egg. It tips to a bad egg. So, like, it's... And, you it's know, when, when you're making that, he wanted her to be worse and worse. And he kept saying, be, be badder, be naughtier, be worse. And he's actually kept driving her to be as bad as she could be. But when she actually stood on that thing, that was an actual trapdoor. She actually dropped. And she was yeah. told to keep her hands by her side not to put her hands out so she was going to drop and then not to stand back up because she'd hit her head off when it closed. But she said she actually felt the fear of boom and she knew it was going to open. I think they'd done that in one take because that's not something you could get right. It had to be just a one take. God bless him, Roy Kinnear. It was Roy Kinnear jumping in after her, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, the, you know, they, they get on the Wonka mobile uh, and all of this like white foam, like, started coming out, but it was fireproof, fireproof deterrent. It was chemical, it was caustic. <laughs> and every single actor, everybody on that Wonka-mobile had to have medical treatment for three days. I mean, if you think of the stories that came out of this film, 
Yeah. They said it was made on the seat of their pants. They were running on what they had. So like, it's, it's, they said it was a what, three three million dollar budget would normally cost twenty million. So like, yeah, so we're we're down to two kids now. Only Joe TV and Charlie. I mean, if you were part of that group, you'd be you'd have to be shitting yourself, wouldn't you? But they go in, he, he's describing Wonka vision. He gets them all done up in like, uh, you know, in bunny suits and they go into this like laboratory and he's shown, basically he's shown them like uh, how to... Teleportation. Yeah, how to transportation, you know. That's what it is. And you well, know, like, Joe the, Looking back, like that's, that's the internet. Oh, it is, of course. Yeah, all the, the molecules above them. Being yeah, like before we knew what the internet was, that's, that's internet and Wi-Fi and all the stuff that's out there. But Joe TV wants to be on TV. He runs the top of the podium, hits it, and that's it. He shrunk. Another one bites the dust. Now it's down to Charlie. I was watching an interview with Jim Wilder, and um, he said he loved the kids, but he did say that the guy who played Joe TV was very, very naughty. But he said, I love you now. But at the time, he said, you weren't a nice kid. Well, you know, if you think about it, did they say he was, on, he was the youngest guy? He was the youngest, but he's the most experienced. He'd done a lot of TV work. Out of them all, um, the Violet Bogard actress had been in what, what we do in the, is it the Shadows? What we do in the Shadows? The, the remember the Vampire Soap Opera? Yeah, she was that's it. What we do in the Shadows? She was in there for two years, but the rest of them had very little. Um, but she's he, passed away now, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, but she, he was the one that had a lot of. So I, I, I'd imagine out of them all, he would have been a little bit more demanding. So that's it. Charlie's the only one left. And they, you know, it's the end of the tour. He said, thank you very much. Um, I'll talk to you later. Don't, don't, I'm not going to show you out. Um, he says, well, what the hell? He goes into his office and the grandpa walks and says, what's your problem? What is your problem? And he goes, where is, um, where's the chocolate for, you know, for, for Charlie? You know, that part of the whole deal was chocolate for life. And he said, he's not going to get the chocolate. And Charlie's standing there. He says, what do you mean he's not going to get the chocolate? And Gene Wilder lets rip on a, just starts screaming because he broke the contract. But again, if you look at Peter Ostrom, the naivety of, and the innocence on his face, you can see how upset he is. Again, he didn't know that Gene Wilder was going to start screaming in his face. And Gene Wilder was tempted to tell him before it and say, look at... Mel Stewart said no. He didn't. Mel Stewart said, no, fuck, I want, I want it raw. I want you to, and, and give it, give it loads. Well, if you look around, if you look around uh, Willy Wonka's room, everything's in half. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, yeah. like it's, it's kind of half. Initially, the room designed by Goff was a normal, and the committee said, no, it doesn't, it wouldn't, ha- he wouldn't have a room like this. He wouldn't have an office. So they cut everything in half, except the light bulb, everything, even the sink, you know, it doesn't make sense, but just cut everything in half, just to match his kind of personality. So, you know, Grandpa Joe says to him, you know, you're, you're an animal. You're just an animal. You're, you're, you're evil. And he's, come on, Charlie, let's get out of here. And he whispers in Charlie's ear, if Slugworth wants that gobstopper, he can have it. But Charlie stops. The innocence of the, you know, Charlie Bucket, the character Charlie Bucket. And he walks back to Wonka. Wonka just ignores him. And he puts the gobstopper on the, on the table and walks out. That's when... Wonka just raised his head and says, Charlie, you've done it. You've won. You've won. You've won the jackpot. Well, I've won the chocolate, the, 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 um, the chocolate for life. The chocolate, Charlie, you've just won the whole factory. 
So then evil slugwort walks into the room and you go, I can't remember what the guy, the character's, alter, you know, his ulterior identity was, but he works for Willy Wonka. And he was there to tempt the children to see who was the good and who was the bad. They, they walk out and they get into this, um, the, I'm going to call it the Wonkavator. I think that's what he called glass it. Glass Elevator, the Glass Elevator. Yeah, the Wonkavator. Well, that, that, that was the name of the sequel, Charlie and the Glass Elevator. But Roald Dahl was so annoyed that they kind of got rid of him offset quite soon because he was doing the script initially. Yeah. He was coming in and he was changing this and small things, change, change, change. And Ned Stewart had enough of him, get him out of here. And as, as always happens with Arthur, and they want to be too involved, we've seen with Stephen King, the film tones are terrible, walk away, but he got rid of him. And he said, there's no way, they were supposed to make the sequel, there's no way will I am alive, they will make a sequel to that movie. And he also said, they will never make a remake of this movie, will I am alive. It was only when he died that his estate let them remake. The yeah, movie. it was 15 years after the death of Roald Dahl that they made the remake with um, Johnny Depp. Yeah. But anyway, The Hill of the Hunt, that's the end of the film. It, it turns out that Willy Wonka, who had never had children, knew that he couldn't do this forever he needed someone of pure heart a child because a child would have that innocence uh, for exploration to not to listen to adults and he gave the whole wonka factory move your family in this is it well derek you know that the end of the movie was supposed to end with grandpa Joe going yippee that was the end of the movie grandpa joe saying that and mel stewart filmed it and said oh no 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 look for a scriptwriter scriptwriter is gone he went on holidays so what so Mel Stewart is going mad, looking for the scriptwriter, uh, David Selsky or something like that. So he's looking for him and he'd gone back to America. He'd, gone, he'd been born out. He said he didn't sleep for three weeks trying to get this started out, trying to redo the work that Roald Dahl had, you know, in the film, trying to make it. He went to a little place in Maine, went fishing. He said it was nothing in the village, a little shack. He still has it. So he said he's fishing and he hears the phone ring. He said there's one phone in the town, one phone. And he could hear it ringing all over the place. He went up and answered it. Hello? Mel Stewart goes, hello, is that you? And he goes, Mel, yeah, I'm ringing from Germany. Where are you? He said, I'm on vacation, I'm finished. No, 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 the end of this movie is shit. All Grandpa Joe says is, yippee, give me an ending. So he said, I'm standing. And he said, all I could think of was, uh, do you hear the story of the man who got everything he wants? He lived happily ever after. And Mel Stewart goes, I love it, hung up. Went to Jim Wilder, say this. And Wilder said, the mini head of lines, he just summed it up perfectly. And that's the end of the movie. It's, you know what, I, I think, I'm a big fan of Gene Wilder. I, I, I think he's a genius. Um, Blazing Saddles, just brilliant. Well, he's, for years, he never, ever bad-mouthed that role. And he said he would get generations, it would go in cycles. He'd get a few yeah. years where kids would come to him and say, oh, you, William Wonka, and then they'd go again. And just before he died, he, he gave an interview. He said he was in a local um, green grocer store, getting vegetables. And this grandmother come up with her grandkids and she goes, Jean, do you mind if I say to the children, there's Willy Wonka? And he goes, yeah, but just, just don't say it too loudly, you know, because he's out shopping. And he said to the kids, look, it's Willy Wonka. And he just looked at them and went, doo -doo -doo -doo. and uh, the kids were just amazed. So he, even to his last days, it was a role that he looked on really fondly. And you can tell the kids on set loved him and, uh, you know, really good guy. Yes, he, he was very, very protective of him and... And we, we spoke about it in the podcast, even the scenes where he had to scream and shout at them. He didn't want to do it. You know, he was, he was against it, but you know, for the sake of the art, I suppose he went. No, like he was a father figure to some of them, because some of them are on set, you know, 
It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing. You lose. Willy Wonka, we could, you know, Willy Wonka is a classic. It's an absolute classic, and one I always go back to, and I watch it with my kids, and I know loads of people, and you know, yourselves who watched it with their kids, and it's a film. Um, but we've been joined today by a very special guest, uh, one of the Oompa Loompa and all messing. It's Mark, our technical guy. So, Mark, what was your views on Willy Wonka? Um, I'd say Willy Wonka is probably one of my favourite films of all time. Um, like, I don't know whether they get away with making that film today, you know, in such detail and the way they treated some of the kids. But, um, you know, I have to say I love it. It's a real upbeat movie. You four spoiled kids and one really good kid. Um, but I loved sitting down and watching it with my own daughter. I have to say, it's one of the best movies of all time. And I think right. Gene Wilder Gene, Gene nails it. You know what I mean? And Veruca Salt is one of the best characters. You know what I mean? You just, it makes you really, really laugh. Yeah, um, actually, Gene Wilder said it of, of, of all, and, and, and uh, Melcher, he said of all the children, she was the one who nailed it. And she was just so good at being bad. Mm. And he said, like, she really was really, really good. So we, we should mention that we, the reason we um, chose Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was because it's going to be going out just on the few days before Easter. And we have a big surprise for the day before Easter, Kieran. Uh, Ms. Veruca Salt herself, Julian Cole, who joined us a couple of weeks ago for a chat and it was recorded in the bag. So we always timed it to go out with our episode of Willy Wonka over the Easter. So uh, if you listen to this, yeah, I might do a binge, do the two episodes together. So looking forward to that. Yeah, and, and it, this is the first time of the podcast that we've had all three members of the Electricity Take a Team on. We wanted to bring Mark in to introduce him. Uh, Mark's the, the the backbone to the whole operation. He has the website going and he, he's the he's he's uh, he's the guy that keeps us all grounded. He's our sponsor guy, our website guy, and when we're doing things wrong, guy, tell us let us know guy. Yeah, well, I try my best to keep it on the strength narrow, you know, which is very hard. You've got a golden ticket for today. We'll see you next year. <laughs> so that was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And, and don't forget to tune in on Saturday, where, as Kieran said, we're going to have the brilliant Julie Don Cole, who talks about the making of the movie, her experiences making the movie, her experience as an actress, because she did continue acting right up until the early, uh, early thousands, early 90s. And we knew there was a lot of stuff in we could have spoke about that we didn't want to speak about, but like you find out what was really in that chocolate river. Yeah, yeah. And that was it. Thank you very much. Well done, guys.